Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We hope that you are encouraged by the message that you're about to hear. Uh, and we'd really appreciate uh, if you would subscribe on Apple Music or follow us on Spotify. That really helps us continue uh, to do the work that we are doing. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the message. Go ahead, take a seat. Great to see you this morning. If we have not met yet, my name is Brett, and I am the youth pastor here at Yarmouth Wesleyan. Uh, I'm excited to share today. I shared three weeks ago, uh, so AJ's got me right back in the ringer. Um, like I said, it's great to see you guys. I'm sure some of us thought that the world was going to end or the second coming of Jesus was happening on Friday when all electronic transactions went down. But lo and behold, we live to see another Sunday. But I'm excited to share today um, as you know, we've been kind of journeying through Romans, and we, we're coming to this kind of transitional point where we're to like the practical stuff of Romans, okay? So I was kind of thinking through, and we are going to take a deep dive. Yes, it's practical. Uh, it's really easy to apply, you know, the, the last third of Romans to our lives, but we are going to take a deep dive today. And so when I was prepping, I was like, you know what? I wish I had some sort of helpful illustration to help ease you guys into this deep dive. But I always got thinking, and, and I actually thought of uh, growing up, me and my brother and my friends, we actually, when we go swimming to the beaches, we'd actually go swim off the wharves, we'd jump off the wharves or the boats, or we'd use the hoist, you know, the swing into the water off the wharf. And looking back, the reason we did that, well, one, it was fun, but two, we would not have actually swam in that water had we tried to wade out into it, because it was so cold. We would not have made it to our knees before we turned around. So there was a little bit of like an adrenaline rush. You just jump right in the water, and that's the quickest way to kind of get numb to the water and start to eventually enjoy yourself once you actually feel numb. So today we're going to do a little bit of that. We're just going to dive right into Romans 12. We're going to get used to the water quick. Um, like I said, there's a bit of a shift here in Romans. Romans 12 is very practical, and uh, we're going to focus on just the first two verses. So yes, that does mean that we're going to be even more long-winded working through Romans. We're just going to focus on the first two verses. So if you have a Bible or if you're a note-taker, get out what you need to get out. Um, we're going to turn to Romans 12, 1 to 2. We're also going to have it on the screen as well. This is what Romans 12, 1 to 2 says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The reason I want to focus on just these first two verses is because I think it's actually critical for us as we continue to journey through the last third of Romans. See, some scholars will even say that these first two verses actually function almost like a title for the last third of Romans. Meaning, the first two verses is, is almost like the thesis or the gist of what the next five or six chapters up until Romans 16 is going to unpack. So I think these verses are critical, uh, even though it's only a few verses. Uh, I encourage you, we're going to, like I said, we're going to take a deep dive. Uh, this is the first time I've actually really like leaned into uh, a a teaching-heavy sermon. So if you have any complaints, you can email me at aj at yarmouthwc.com 
and I will get back to you quickly. So I created a bit of a word map for us, okay? I created a map so we can stay on track and really dive into the scriptures, okay? So four words that we're going to use to create this map. Process, reality, lie, and truth, okay? We have a process, we have a reality, we have a lie, and we have a truth. And we're going to unpack each of those individually. First up is the word process, okay? One of the things we see from these verses is that there is a process of transformation in happening in our lives. Before I get too far, I do want to point out, point out, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, which means everything we've learned about or read up until this point matters. So these first two verses of Romans 12, and for lack of a better term, they're almost a byproduct of what Paul has already talked about in Romans 1 through 11, which is all stuff that God has done in us and for us. And so, in a way, Romans 12, 1 to 2, because it's a byproduct, it's not this, yes, it's very practical, but it's not this try harder, do better attitude. It's actually an outflow of what God has already done as we've read Romans 1 through 11. So just keep that in mind. And he also says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. That's also a cue that these verses, again, be, although they are very practical and they require action on our part, it's actually, we actually draw on God's resources for this. By the mercies of God, we're drawing on what God has done and what he continues to want to do in us. Second quick, quick observation about this process, this, this transformation that we see from these verses, is Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Kind of sounds weird, doesn't it? Doesn't God, why would God want us to present our bodies to him? Doesn't he want our heart? Isn't he concerned with what's in our heart more than anything else? God actually created us as holistic people, meaning that we are mind, body, and spirit. And we actually can't divide those things up. We're holistic. God has created us that way. We're one nature with those components. That's why maybe our, you've noticed like our mental health is actually affected if we don't get physical exercise. It's because we are holistic beings. So when we present our bodies to God, we're presenting our very selves to God. And he says that's actually our spiritual worship. See, we tend to separate the, this spiritual realm from the physical realm. And we kind of think, you know what, these, the, my, my life with God doesn't really overlap with, you know, my work or my family. And we, we tend to separate those worlds as if they are two separate things. Uh, a couple times when I've seen some of you in the community, in town somewhere, some of the reactions I get is, Pastor Brett, is that you? Oh, I, did, I didn't even recognize you. Almost like, you know what, a pastor, he must, he must live at the church. He doesn't exist outside the four walls of the church. And it's because of that attitude, we, you know, we tend to separate kind of our life with God from all these other aspects of our life. And it's just not the case. So, so we see here, God's telling us, present our bodies, our very selves, to God, which is our spiritual worship. We cannot separate kind of the physical realities from the spiritual realities. This first verse is also, it also alludes to the Old Testament. It says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's a reference to 
the Israelites in the Old Testament, what they would do is they would literally go to the temple and they would sacrifice animals to please God. That was, that was their acceptable worship. They had all kinds of different forms of sacrifice that they actually presented to God to please him. And so that's the connection in these verses. Living sacrifice, it's a little more dynamic. Yes, Jesus has died, he has saved us, and and we are eternally saved. But there's also an ongoing sacrifice. But we don't have to sacrifice animals to please God. We are now the sacrifice. We are the living sacrifices. Our lifestyles are actually offered to God in worship. See, the animal sacrifices that we see in the Old Testament... It was a physical act that had spiritual significance, which is a perfect image of of how we we can't separate uh, the physical realm from the spiritual realm. And it's the same with us, our lifestyle, and all kind of the nooks and crannies of our lives. Those are the things that we actually offer to God. It's a living sacrifice. It's dynamic, it's willful, and it's active. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Eating and drinking are some of the most basic things we can actually do as people. So what we actually see is that God wants us to offer every aspect of our lives and our lifestyle to him in his name. Uh, One author put it this way. What they do, meaning they're Christians, what they do is their sacrifice. When they speak, listen, embrace, eat, drink, love, have sexual relations, guide children, offer wisdom, work, garden, pay taxes, offer visible expressions of care, respect, approve, disapprove, pray, participate in fellowship and and worship and instructions, one could go on. It's because every aspect of our lifestyle, if we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, have the capacity to be directed towards God for his pleasure. There was a a monk named Brother Lawrence who lived in the 1600s. And so Brother Lawrence, he obviously lived at a monastery. And monasteries, they have liturgy, they have routines, they have certain hours that they pray, and they have, they sing, all, there's all kinds of uh, rules of life, so to speak. But there's also labor involved. There's, you're actually living communally, which means that there's chores and all of those things. And Brother Lawrence, he actually wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God, which I think encapsulates our verses here. We actually have an opportunity to practice the presence of God in everything we do, And so Brother Lawrence, in in this book, he talks about how he practiced this when he was peeling potatoes in the kitchen, literally. With every little small, minute act, he practiced directing the attention of his heart to God because he took these verses to heart. If we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, if we do everything, whether we eat, whether whether we drink, if we do it all for the glory of God, then we have the capacity in whatever we do. There's this process of transformation that's happening because it's ongoing. It's happening in real time in our lifestyles. This is what Brother Lawrence had to say kind of on the topic of practicing the presence of God. The time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, 
I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. We can offer our very selves to God. It doesn't matter if we're driving to work. It doesn't matter if we're gardening. It doesn't matter if we're doing chores. When we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, that is our spiritual worship. A third quick observation on this, this kind of process, this, this ongoing transformation that seems to be happening here is the key words, renewal of your mind. Because this process is happening in us, the renewing of our mind is taking place when our attention and our affection is brought into alignment with God. It's when we bring our thoughts, our worldview, our perceptions into alignment with what God has to say about us, about himself, and about the world. And it's often a new orientation in thinking that leads to a new orientation in behavior. When I was growing up, my family, we often went to uh, PEI, and for seven years straight, one week each summer, we would go to Andrews Hockey School in PEI. And this was a hockey school where we just basically tried to become better hockey players. They were full days. Um, they were like eight-hour days of on-ice, off-ice, classroom stuff, social stuff. And there were awesome memories that our, our family had there. And I also felt like I became a better hockey player there. And one of the components of the day at this hockey school, the first hour and a half of the day, was just to train your skating, okay? So you worked on just your skating, which meant you'd have 20, 25 of you on the ice with no pucks, just skating. And it wasn't the most pleasant thing because it was often very tiring. And one of the things that you have to do in hockey, and a lot of sports, but hockey specifically on skates, is you have to learn to pivot. When you're at a, a certain speed and the play changes directions, you have to be able to turn on a dime without losing too much speed. Because if you stop completely, you would lose speed. And so, as a hockey player, you have to learn how to pivot. And at this hockey school, the way they taught us how to pivot is, first, you turn your head. If you want to pivot in a certain direction, you turn your head in the direction you want to go. Because when you turn your head, your shoulders will follow, your hips will follow, and your feet eventually will follow, which is where your skating comes from. And so I think that's such a helpful picture for how God transforms us, this process of transformation. It often starts with the renewal of our mind because a new, thing, a new orientation in thinking leads to changes in our behavior. It's the renewal of our mind. It's transformation starts with our thoughts, with our perceptions, our ideas. That's why our thoughts are so formative. We, you know, we've often joked about what it's like to just sit in front of the news for hours. It's because our thoughts have formative effects on us, and it often starts with ideas. So that's a bit of the, the, the process of transformation that we see kind of happening. It's, it's, it's in real time. It doesn't happen overnight, but God is continually uh, renewing us. We're being uh, transformed by the renewal of our mind. So that's what we have for process. But the second word, anyone remember the second word that I said? Reality. reality. Someone's listening. So we have our process, but we also, we have a reality at play. And honestly, I couldn't think of a better word for this. But what I mean is that there is a reality of God's spirit in our lives. Meaning, there is a truth 
fixed by God that does not depend on our experience. As we've learned in Romans so far, if you are a child of God and the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus is Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit actually lives in you. Whether you're aware of it or not, whether you feel like it when you wake up in the morning or go to bed, the reality is, if you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's what I mean by reality. Yes, we have this process of transformation that we're aware of, and we kind of, we kind of feel that taking place maybe every week or even over just a stretch of time, but there's a reality of God's presence in our life that doesn't depend on our performance. It just is because God made it so. So that's what I mean by reality. And the reason this reality is important is because it's the spirit that informs the process. This process of transformation that I talked about, it is taking place in my life and in your life right now because God's spirit lives in us. The spirit in us, as we, specifically Romans 8, talks about the spirit of God which is life, is in us, bringing life to fruition. The Spirit informs the process. Secondly, in this kind of the reality of the Spirit, what that also means is that you are a temple. You are a temple for God. God's presence actually resides in you. To go back to the Old Testament and kind of to talk about the sacrifices again, in the Old Testament, God actually resided. He lived in a physical place, a physical structure. That was the temple or the tabernacle. And that's why we see the Israelites are instructed to actually go to the temple to sacrifice. It's because that's where God was. That's where they actually met God. But now that God actually lives in us, that means that you are a temple. That's why we can present our bodies as a living sacrifice, because we are the temples now. A third observation I want to unpack about this reality of the Spirit and how it kind of informs this process of transformation, this journey that we're on. It also means that we're constantly being purified, changed, or to use a fancy word, we're being sanctified. Because God's Spirit lives in us, we are constantly being sanctified and changed and purified by God. I want to highlight the words be transformed in these verses, okay? The Greek word for transformed is metamorpho, which sounds a lot like metamorphosis. That's right. So this is where we get our English word metamorphosis, which is the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, is a literal transformation from one stage to another. And that's such a perfect word picture. That's what scripture is saying. That God is actually, yes, it's a process. Yes, it's going to take time. But God's intention for you, and it's happening in real time, is that because his spirit lives in you, he is constantly changing you by nature of his presence in you. The only other time that the word metamorpho is used is in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. And I'm going to read it to you because I think it's helpful to almost use this as a cross-reference to understand our verses here in Romans. This is what it says, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, 
who with unveiled faces contemplate, remember contemplate, what does that have to do with? Our minds. As we contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You may not feel like it, but because God's Spirit is in you, he is birthing freedom in you at all times. And be transformed here, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those words, be transformed, are passive. Meaning it's not some extra burden that we have to take on. It's not some chore that we add to the list to do for God. God's actually doing that to us in real time. It's almost the default to our lives with God. It's like a river. If you wade into a river and, and you want to float, what do you do? You, you just have to do nothing. You just float in the water and you let yourself go with the flow of the river. You let yourself go with the current. It's natural. All you have to do is float and do nothing. But you can actively fight against the current. You can swim against it. It's harder. It's more draining. And you can fight the current. And that's what I mean by the default is transformation. Because God's spirit lives in us, because he's transforming us, because these things exist in our reality beyond whether we can feel it or not, God is constantly changing us as long as we let him do that. So we have process, this process of transformation. We have this reality, this reality of the spirit that informs the process. But the next word that I told you we would use is lie. Now before I tell you the lie, I want to I set it up a little bit. See, I've noticed in my own journey and, and talking with others, the same for them, there's this attitude that can creep into our minds very subtly but very quickly. And I already talked about it a little bit, about the physical and the spiritual realms. There's this, this thought process that there's the sacred and then there's the secular, the, the without God, and those two worlds do not interact. Maybe the way that's expressed is you're thinking to yourself, if I was only a monk like Brother Lawrence, maybe I would probably pray three hours a day. Or if something was different, if I was a pastor and I got paid to read the Bible, then maybe I would be closer to God. We can examine uh, aspects of our work, our work environments, or maybe our families, our hobbies. We can all look at our life circumstances and think, you know what? If only this were different, maybe I could carve out more God time and have less everything else time. We can all point out things, you know what, if I wasn't distracted by this, if I just quit my job, maybe I could just pray eight hours a day. But here's the lie kind of encapsulated that I want to highlight. The lie is that sacred spaces are only in sacred places. The lie is that sacred spaces are only in sacred places. Now I'm going to stop telling you lies, I'm going to tell you the truth. The lie is that sacred spaces are only in sacred places. The truth is, you are the sacred space. You are the sacred space. You don't have to go on this pilgrimage to Jerusalem to encounter God. Your relationship with Jesus does not have to depend on Sunday morning services. You are the sacred space that God has chosen. 
It's our embodied way of life that is the sacred space. Everything short of sin can be offered as worship when this is the case. Your life is literally a prayer. And the implications of, the, implications of this are quite endless, honestly. The implications this has for our self-worth, that God sees you as worthwhile, you're not disposable in God's eyes because you are the sacred space. Jesus actually died to make you that. Our work, our jobs, have a new kind of installation of dignity and purpose. Because what you do, whatever the labor is, it can be anything. Those things have the capacity to be offered to God as worship because you are the sacred space. What we do with our bodies is offered to God as worship. That means that your daily commute can be your prayer room. Your workouts, your, your sports, your hobbies, yes, they can become idols, but they, can all, they also have the capacity to be offered to God in worship, to be the room, to be the space where you meet with God in his love and in his power. Discipleship happens in the normalcy of life. Jesus took naps. Jesus went fishing. He went for hikes. Our formation into the image of Jesus happens in the normalcy of life. And today, the way we're going to respond today, and I think it's such a fitting response, is we're going to take communion. And I've been on a bit of a journey with communion because to me, I think communion is something special that we've lost sight of a bit. And I think we'd all agree that to some degree, yeah, communion is important, but I don't think I could explain what it means. Hopefully the person beside me could actually explain it. We have this sense of, you know what, it's important and it's something special, but it's easy to also go years, decades without even thinking and just, just taking communion without, without even thinking twice. See, what communion is, one, it is a mystery, so to some degree, we won't understand it completely. But communion is what we call a sacrament. And a sacrament is something that Jesus actually instituted us to do. So AJ is going to come up shortly and kind of unpack a bit more maybe what Jesus said. But Jesus, with his early disciples before he died, he said, break bread and drink the juice in remembrance of me. It was something Jesus actually told us to do corporately and has been done since the birth of the church to speak to AJ's word earlier about the longevity of some of the things that we, uh, the story that we kind of find ourselves in. It's a means of grace. God actually mediates, he gives his grace to us through the act of communion. Yes, he gives his grace regardless and in other ways as well, but he gives his grace to us specifically through communion. See, communion is an embodied response to God. It's a physical act with spiritual significance. That's why it matters. And so when we talk about this process of transformation, when we talk about the renewal of our minds and what it looks like to present our bodies to God, this is one of the most important ways we can respond because it's very literally that. We're bringing ourselves physically into alignment with what we know to be true about who God is, who we are, and the nature of the world. Through the act of communion, we are bringing our mind and our affection 
before God in real time. Let's pray. God, we just ask that you continue to speak to us as we reflect. We ask that you just break down any notions that we have, God, that you don't intercept all the other areas of our lives. And we ask that as as you make us aware of these truths, that you continue to birth the transformation you've already said has taken place. We ask that you meet us in our hobbies, that you meet us around the dinner table, that you start to transform the way we perceive our relationship with you as we recognize that there are no limits to that. So God, lead us as we meet with you and do what only you can do. In your name we pray, amen.